0: What's up? It's Vital. Welcome to New York. I'm still drifting, snow drifting, and trying to find my bearings and get our bearings and try to figure out where we are, what we are, how adaptive we are, and how uh, collapsible we are as well, but I look for micrological epiphanies and minor resurrections, even if they're bound to crash and burn at a certain moment of their trajectory, one really latches on to the most minute um, sparks of hopefulness and light, especially when it gets very dark. So here I am, me voici donc seul, as um, Rousseau says, opening his uh, reveries, his great exit text, after which he said, oh, I've written everything I wanted to write. I've said everything I need to write and say. And he said, but there's still another moment. I'm not sure I, I uh, matched Prince with Rousseau, but I understand that inability to let go or let others go when there's a time of um, felt desperation and um, a sprawl of anxiety, especially um, on the New York streets. And even though there are signs and indications that we're New Yorkers, we're tough, and big billboards that say, stay resilient New York. Um, There's there's a real sense of a lag in our sales and difficult um, white caps that we have to pound against even in in a solitary walk and so taught us to do. In fact, walking is something that um, is philosophically tabulated, urged, practically prescribed. So at another point, we'll discuss what it means to walk the walk, take the sidewalks, visit the streets of New York, consider the shuttered landscape, and try to um, build on that, which doesn't give you much to latch on to right now. Of course, the um, almost cliched new cliched um, utterance is others have it worse which is not false and we need to somehow get out there and do what we can or stay in here and reach with some sort of outreach program that might be viably helpful um, reach a lot a lot of others, different levels of urgency and um, articulation. And sometimes all you can do if you're trained up the way I am is try to um, strain on the sorrow and, and concerns of others and try to give it, if not meaning or signification, at least a track on which to um, produce effects of meaning, or something that you can um, recognize or not recognize on that note of non-recognizables. Let me say that there's another cliche of a a newly minted and meant that says, um, America is no longer recognizable uh, or America isn't what it used to be and who is by the way, but um, it involves a certain kind of narcissistic scale down and uh, puncturing of whatever it is that the world or parts of the world needed America to be or idealized America as, and America by that, I mean, right now in the narrow sense of North America, in the even narrower sense, of USA and let's say New York where I'm more or less trying to hold forth and hold my ground. Uh, And I do that as a philosophical sensibility that does not take anything for granted. That's um, one of the, let's say, glories and curses of those who are rigged up philosophically, they have to probe every utterance, every word, every piece of ground or inch of land that they think that they've gained or earned the right to stand on conceptually. And then it's taken from you or um, somehow you're made to teeter or topple or, Crash and burn in in many programmed and also um, almost arbitrary ways. It depends how you're going to philosophize, whether in a Nietzschean way with a hammer or in other ways of of, um, recuperating the losses into a system that um, uh, can derive interest and dividends from a losing streak or a bunch of shrapnel and shattering uh, quasi events. So one of the recent uh, launches that we've heard is that America doesn't resemble itself. That's a Gallicism. That's how the French uh, might say, I don't recognize you. I don't know who you are anymore. And it's, it's an anguished cry. It, it might indicate that some veil had just been lifted and now you see something more closely bound to a certain dismal truth that has been disavowed or somehow some abysses have been cleared so you didn't look down if you were tightroping or tight troping and you were dreaming which America beckons and encourages. It's it's called the American dream. And I will develop the thought of the dream not only via Freud's uh, essential traumdeutung or interpretation of dreams and see how Freud can help us help and protect the dreamers but also um, going back to what Freud couldn't deal with, which is the rivalry he felt for Plato, who um, released some dream streams that I think um, disrupt some of the programs of the Republic and what he thought governance and even democratic life forms should and could look like. Uh, So I want to go into a kind of metaphysical unleashing of nocturnal demonry, and what it means when a state somehow includes this alien alterity, meaning, what it means to allow an intrusive uh, installation of dreams as you're constructing your republic, be it a constitutional republic, be it the République Francaise or Monaco's form of um, principality and governance or um, indeed, the place, I think the place, because I'm not taking anything for granted, where democracy has been stretched to its breaking point and the unconscious, the rhetorical unconscious that we also need to investigate in what we're calling America or the American dream has reached its snapping point in so many ways. Of course, there are minor resurrections as I indicated. There's, there's the um, apparent um, winning out and beating out that goes under the names of, uh, that go under the names of Biden and Harris. And let's hope that that team gets some traction because it, it, it came out of the gate very, very strongly, and and with all sorts of um, maneuvers and punches that we can appreciate as it um, tries to draw down the fas- uh fashion in America and the fascistoid tendencies that are not mere tendencies. So I don't want to be run over by a dream logic that is pure association or anything. I do want to um, just get you ready for thinking what's something as sober and structuring and even prescriptive as Plato's Republic and metaphysical um, types of thinking about and typologies of thinking about governance, including oligarchy, democracy, tyranny, and the tyrannical soul structure that Sarah Kaufman, the French philosopher, has detected in the work of Plato and Freud as they duke it out in the fight cage of their mimetic rivalry. Freud doesn't wanna acknowledge, as I indicated, um, that Plato already was onto dreaming and the importance of uh, opening a dossier on dreaming and the difficulty of allowing the unconscious to have a place or unplace an unvo, a non-place. Here I'm quoting Ceylon, the great poet, again and forever. Um, once you open a dossier of dreaming, a dreaming citizenry, you allow for all sorts of trespass in the nocturnal um, expanse of the ancient night of a kind of Las Vegas omerta or secrecy. What happens in the night stays in the night including all sorts of dreams of illicit desire, parasital um, success, um, incestuous um, romps, uh, all sorts of murderous um, and libidinal upsurges that are usually considered absolutely forbidden, prohibited as you know. So Plato counts on the citizenry um, locking down the demonry that, that was allowed to come out at night and to get back to the strict and philosophically correct modalities of governance by, um, waking up from, um, nocturnal trespass. But once you let dreams into your philosophical and and even theoretical though purportedly um political scientific um let's say argument or discursivity then you've opened up a big pandora's box and um, you may not be able to stuff it back in so i want us to consider dreamers the american dream what it means to um acknowledge a dream state and even the reveries of rousseau which are daydreams Um, so where what kind of a status does a dream have as a text as a promise as a um, kind of block of readability or unreadability we know that we need to interpret dreams it's because there's something untranslatable about them and yet they seem to come from an inside that that we can't really tap with great confidence you usually need something like an analyst to help you understand why you're dreaming how you're dreaming what dreaming does to the rhetoric of promising and broken promises and what it, how it inflects temporality. Isn't it the case that the dream welcomes the future? Can you have a future without a dream of the future? But to what extent does the dream spill over into the encroachment of nightmarish repression in some districts of behaviors and thought and violence? There's no state without some shudder of violence. And we're not, as philosophers, going to avoid that. We're going to get closer to those fires and signifiers. So when I say I want to get our bearings, it's also because by a Heidegger, um, when you want to produce commentary of a highly thoughtful um, Flavor. I'm I'm laughing at myself, really, is that what I'm doing? I'm trying, that's my, uh, what Kant would call a regulatory ideal. Um, so it's what I would like to think I'm doing. So when you're um, working on something in the form of commentary, so philosophical, theoretical, even speculative thought or what, Heidegger prefers, he doesn't consider himself a philosopher. He thinks Nietzsche was the last philosopher. And he um, is, is a thinker. And um, that's something that we, we will consider later on. But comment in, in German of the sort, the commentary that he um, modeled for us and is thinking about the great poet Hölderlin um, is an which has art in it. So it's also a place. It's a comment, a place, a site, a locus. And the French always ask, um, what situates your, speech, your your thinking, your writing. How do you situate it? Which also has to do with something like I'll say it too quickly because we would have to take a close up on what Heidegger means and why the art, the place, the emplacement, the um, land, even all of that uh, needs to be considered as not something that we really understand or own or appropriate easily, or even have um, and can handle. So um, I'd like us to consider where are these places and especially with the uh, the, um, scientific technological um, grid work that we're inscribed in or the Gestel, which is a major kind of paraconcept that Heidegger has introduced to us, and recently I wrote an article called "The Gestel from Hell," um, meaning America and what it has been to the European monitors of thought, and what it, um, how it um, operates or self-destructs as what we call last time, and we'll continue to see as a philosophy. What does America mean uh, not only in terms of um, the tenuous and difficult to grasp um, nearness of dream language or logic, but what does America mean to um, poetic acts? and philosophical thought. So it might not be a referential America, meaning the kind that you could designate on an empirically secured map, but it might be that I'm talking about a dream, a collective dream that is um, going down fast and has some floatable quality still, and we're not really invested in the Phoenix aura of a return or a comeback, even though those are American um, terms and, and wish fulfillment that we want to be attentive to because when Nietzsche read America, he was all about uh, the way you can switch up identities and. The possibility of a comeback. And the dream of um, non substantial uh, entities that get to change up in in, in great um, rhythmic, proud um, kind of solar storm ways that he that he appreciates so much. So I will s- see myself in in, um, the way we approach America in philosophy and poetry and literature as a tugboat helping these texts to dock in America. Remembering that Kafka wrote his novel called America with a K without having stepped foot in America, of course. But nonetheless, he figured the Statue of Liberty, a gift from the French, as everyone knows, Um, he figured the Statue of Liberty as rather than holding a torch or a light as holding uh, um, a sword. So a very menacing disfiguration of, the welcoming committee that so many immigrants have uh, connected on to or invested with a lot of dream um, densities, the Statue of Liberty whom you pass upon entering uh, the zone of, of the um, Atlantic side of the United States and um, some Figuration who holds a book in one arm and holds a torch or a sword, depending whose night goggles you're bo- borrowing um, and welcomes you to the United States. When I was a little immigrant myself, I had a kind of crush on her, the Statue of Liberty, because um, I just liked her crown. I saw those as a, that crown as a crown of thorns. So there was a Christ-like sacrificial um, um, depiction involved. But I also, I liked that she was holding a book. I never thought of it as a child as, as she, in terms of the locution that she might throw the book at me which is a way of saying um, that someone's gonna get um, busted or or policed in um, unjust ways, the way Kafka describes what happens in America. But Kafka also um, makes his trek past the Statue of Liberty in terms of theatrical props and premonitions and medial intensities, or he prefigures media. He doesn't tweet yet, but he certainly has um, opened a certain kind of Twitter account, and lots of um, noise full static that occupy American lines and lineage. All this to say that, um, And here will be my thesis that we'll explore together. Um, There's a kind of, not a kind of, there's a a definite strain of anti-Americanism that philosophy has hosted of the 20th century. And it's never really been, never at all been called out or seen as problematic and i if we had time, we would think of Fichte and patriotism and how patriotism can lap into um, cosmopolitanism. Um, this is something that Peter Trani has recently developed in terms of Derrida's Geschlecht Drei. So a text that, that was brought out Uh, recently. So what it means to listen to criticism, projection, uh, certain kinds of skeptical uh, disruptions of the very images that these philosophers and poets try to produce in their dark rooms. Most of them have not been to America, but that makes it all the most more um, poignant and compelling to consider what it represents. Um, And it might seem bizarre that I want to ticket um, Heidegger and Derrida and reroute them to their American um, uh, homelands of estrangement and um, positing for Derrida, deconstruction is America. Was in America, for for Heidegger and his correspondence to Rilke, America is considered uh, quite awful. It's it's um, for for Rilke. It's he uses the word repugnant. He considers Americans monstrous. So this is before. Um, Trump or Trump, his name, his German name used to be Trump uh, before he, his roots and boots returned to America. So I'm going to try to see how America and Germany collaborate in certain philosophical ways on on pumping uh, a kind of warped uh, relation that that, um, I hope makes more sense as I slowly develop this. Um, Lawrence Rickles has long ago indicated that California has absorbed many Germanic tropes and tropologies and, and beams it back at Europe. So there's not only a reciprocal rendezvous of of great ambivalence and mistrust. There's also a relation that's almost generational and parental, which is why I earlier brought up parasital dreams and, um, you know, America as an offshoot or offspring of the European um, imperiousness. I would, if if I um, managed to be a DJ of some quality, I would now put on "Is You Is or Is You Ain't My Baby," uh, which is also a question. It's on the flip side of "G.I. Jive," but it's also a question of what is now and has been, and what what would a genealogical purge um, offer as the relationship, which is uh, vexed, conflicted, loving, tender, um, mimetic, um, mad, uh, between Europe and America now. It doesn't go as far as breaking up families as it did for Benjamin Franklin and his son, who um, wanted to maintain his position as a monarchist. You know that was uh, a thorn in the side of Benjamin Franklin, of course. So um, there's some tears and lacerations and traumatic. After effects that have never been healed, and why should they have been necessarily, or never have been treated, or even called, have they even called for a diagnostic gaze? They certainly haven't been laid out in a clinic of, of thinking through speculative historical breakups and reappropriations and false memories or disturbed um, insomniac nights or nights of um, deep dreaming of what it was that connected and disconnected and continues to um, hammer out certain kinds of plans for Europe and America on levels that are rhetorical, unconscious, but also um, very empirically retrofitted and fitted to um, discursive inroads that many people have made i'm i'm on the job to look for uh, to put on my shit detectors and look for what's um been uh let's say following a subterranean logic or been hidden or unconscious or hostile like why is rilke picking on us I say us as a Weltmensch, uh, a Goethe coinage, which is uh, a person of the world, a citizen of the world, we would say in English. So um, why do Heidegger and Rilke have um, shit to say about America? And I I ask this, um, maybe my tone could have been softer on, pianissimo I ask this sweetly and um innocently almost to the extent that any philosophical sensibility can be innocent when you're looking for dirt you know and what kind of dirt does America provide for the Europeans sometimes it's fertile soil but it's certainly not uh gluten boden it's uh There's a homeland sickness that we can consider, and also a secret uh, credit account or bank account that America borrows from. Because to what extent is America um, dependent on European uh, approval ratings and and ways of, of configuring? the world that we do and don't share, assuming a world can still be um, summoned up or conjured or imagined here. That's another question that we've addressed in prior podcasts, the shattering of worlds. So um, to what extent has um, European poetry and philosophy needed to dump on America in order to pump itself up. And then it has a borrowing system. And, of course, there's reciprocal movements of um, spitting on other and the decision to change French fries to freedom fries, which might arguably meet be the same name in some districts of political philosophy. So uh, what's going on in this fraught, and rich, and um, also, disturbing relationship who's evaluating and judging whom, what kind of um, systems of acknowledgement and disavowal, help us to read ourselves. now? When I say ourselves, there's a million quotation marks and lots of irony loaded up because um, I, as a Nietzsche baby, am um, affirmatively disenfranchised. And as a Hannah Arendt scholar, I also embrace in, in her way, those aspects of my fragmented history and Bildungsroman as um, a pariah being. And so, um, this also is something that Heidegger has um, taught us about, which is being not at home. That in the grid where we are detached and at, attached, connected and disrupted constantly in isolation and um, and morphing types of sociality that still need to be identified and defined, and and refined as well. We're not at home, and that was what America offered for Rilke and Heidegger and poets such as Lenau from the Habsburg places of Hungary and Vienna. Um, a, a kind of modeling of being not at home, being um, bounced and evicted and, and on one's own in ways that for Nietzsche deserved great affirmation and applause because it's not easy to live that way. And it also shows that one has been able to shake off the burden and overloading of history that Europeans are tethered to, according to many, but led by Nietzsche in this chorus. So we're going to think about where we are, where we're going, how the pandemic has linked and dissociated us and made us think about who and where and what and we are and how that has been blown up in a way that can be deplored and mourned and also affirmed without ever losing sight of the tragic edges of social injustice and and disturbances and sheer destruction that the figure of man has, or the Anthropos has wrought. So that's our project. I'll also have guests to come and talk to us and with me and past me. And I look forward to continuing what I feel I can contribute, which is to mess things up, shake things up, and and be speculative philosophers, which is with you, which is what the times call for in a very urgent and serious way. I mean, you can see what's happening, you don't need necessarily a redescription, but shifting the focus a little bit with the help of other tugboats, such as psychoanalysis, poeticity, and philosophical urgency or speculation or positing and rhetorical determination, maybe we can um, find that place of erörterung. O- or commentary that we're called upon to to offer to one another. So listen, you take care, load up on vitamin D and C, quercetin. Um, let's see what happens when we land either on Mars, as we did this week uh, with Perseverance, or in New York, if we should arrive. But let's open up the uh, harbors and docks and consider what kind of dreams America promised, the nature of the broken promises and why the Statue of Liberty invites the most radical alterity, the poor, the hungry and whether that is possible at all in terms considered by um, Jacques Derrida in his conversation with the beautiful and luminous Anne du Faumonté. So um, maybe unconditional hospitality, which is what fashions the American dream, just through us off, meaning by us, those who are shattering all dreamers and dreams by some sort of logic that it's our responsibility to pursue and understand a little better than we have, not with a view to eliminating the dream, but to giving it shelter and protection. All right, take care and be safe. Thank you.